well, welcome to Meridian Travel Agency, sir. Your your gateway to stellar destinations. I'm Nick. H- how can I help you today? Well, I'm looking for an authentic vacation package. I want to go somewhere new, but I don't want to be stuck in those tourist traps the whole time. I want to experience life like it's really like out there, and I want you to set everything up. Uh... Okay, well, we have a really great option here, sir. It's called the Military Muster Package. Oh, wow, that sounds kind of rugged. Uh, yes, it's very popular among our um, uh, single male customers. It simulates, uh, where is it? Oh, uh, military duty and actually has a tour pass through front frontline conflict? Yeah, that uh, might be a little much for me. Uh, of, of course, sir. My, my fault. It's my first day out of training. Uh, let's see. Something less manly. Hey. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, something that appeals to a demographic less than uh, exclusively male. Uh, sorry. Sorry, sir. Hmm. Uh, right. So there's this free trader package that gives you a wide-ranging travel visa and a commerce pass. Okay. What are my options with that package? Uh, well... There aren't really any options. It's more of a make-your-own-experience deal. Wait, is that through Planetary Tours United? I have a friend who said he got both of those packages together as a deal. Yes, yes. Uh, I think they were previously only available as a package, but they're now being offered separately. And what if I want them both? Uh, But they're two different packages now. I can't... I, I don't... Look... I want the military muster, but I don't want to go out to the front lines. And I want the free trader. But I want a little help picking out the best shops and markets. My buddy got a package deal about a month ago from you guys. He said it was genuine, handcrafted, authentic experience, and I want the same thing. Maybe I should get my manager. I'll be right back. Sir, this is my manager. Hello there. Pleased to meet you, Mr... Hello, my name is Sean. Happy to be of service. Uh, Nick tells me you have some questions about our very separate and totally individual packages. Right. My buddy told me you guys would help me put together a unique, customized, hand-on tour experience that suits my unique personality. Oh, your friend sent you here for a real artisanal experience, right? Yeah. That sums it up nicely. Okay, right, great, yeah. That was totally a bunch of lies. Uh, what? Yeah, that tour we we sold your friend, yeah, we probably sold him like a hodgepodge of crap you could buy off the Spectrum for half the price and a quarter of the time with no waiting list. All lies. But, but... Look, look, sir, sir, seriously. A thousand years ago, college kids got exciting summer jobs at sea that turned out to be, you know, cleaning toilets on cruise ships or pulling lobsters out of the Bering Strait in your underwear. I mean, (laughs) you know, now they pack them off into little ships to mine asteroid tunnels. You ever heard of this? Yeah. The travel industry is built on lies. Uh, Sean, sorry. In training, they told us it was a product realignment due to shifting market conditions. Oh, oh, really? Really? Well, sure. I mean, if that makes makes the whole thing you know go easier, I mean, we can go with that. You know, whatever. Wait. So you didn't sell my friend a personalized artisanal tour? <laughs> really, really, sir? Do you think you just slap an adjective like artisanal on something and have it mean anything? Like, okay, a hand basket? Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, strawberry preserves? Sure, maybe. Okay, yeah. 
uh, a two-week guided tour of space? Seriously, wait, tell me. Tell me you don't believe that. I have to hear this from you. He specifically told me he came here and bought these two packages and you guys customized them. Oh, oh, wait, 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 back up. You say you want two packages, two different packages. Oh, why didn't you say so? I mean, yeah, we can sell you two packages, sure. They covered that in training. Uh, I don't understand. Well, there's a special sale. Right. If you purchase either the military muster or free trader package, you get the other experience at a 75% discount. So, I can purchase them together and get a discount? No, 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 no. You purchase the one, and then there is a sale on the other option. Isn't that the same thing as being a package deal for both? <laughs> uh, oh, 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 wait, you're serious. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, certainly not, sir. No, the package was the old offer. Now there's the sale. Completely different concepts. Okay. What is this ad I saw about the new experience with the Planetary Tours United subscription offer? Oh, yeah, that's just a rebranding they did on their new service, totally unrelated to the tours. What about this other outfit, the Expedition Destinations? Oh, uh, of course, sir. They're less of a tour agency and more a broker, you understand. So they get you into places, but don't offer any services afterward? What do you mean, get you into places? Yeah, what Nick means is um, there are a lot more... You know, regional territories in ED's sphere of influence, and each has their own special little quirks. So ED just offers to cut through all that for you. What if you go there on your own without Expedition's help? Uh, generally, people just uh, shoot you on site. Right. So what exactly does Expedition Destinations do to cut through all that? Basically, it's uh, like a rental transponder. Mm. Uh, one type is a general piloting trading package, and then you can add in the subscription pass that allows touring on planetary surfaces. I thought you said the subscription thing doesn't have anything to do with the tours. Uh, that was uh, Planetary Tours United, sir. This is Expedition Destinations. Right. I'm so confused. Well, then you probably wouldn't want me to add in that the subscription with Expedition Destination also promises future access to plastic surgery affiliates, a salvaging license, and group touring packages. Wait. Group touring packages? That's great. I wanted to bring my whole family. Uh, your, your, your family. <laughs> you, you want to? <laughs> Nicky, he has a family. That, that's great, sir. Of course, he has a family. He wants to bring the misses and the rugrats to the fringes of explored space with him. <laughs> well, well, uh, with both ED and PTU, you need to buy a separate package for each individual. I bet he has a dog. I have a dog. What about the dog? Of course, he does. Yeah, him too. Her. That either way. One being, one package. Forget it. You people have been no help to me. I'll book it myself. Good day, sir. But, sir. I said good day. Okay. Did you see how I did that? Okay. Right? Yeah. Wow. You make it look so easy. Yeah, you'll get it. You'll get it. it just takes a little practice. It's, it's an old family recipe. Three fingers of condescension, a splash of disdain, a twist of bemusement, served on the rocks of apathy, and a chilled glass of forced politeness. I gotta write that down. Oh, and laughing out loud at him to his face. I mean, that was... <laughs> you like that? I sort of threw that in. Nice job running with it, though. It's good. Oh, and the dog was good. It felt right. Yeah, yeah it worked. It worked. Yeah, but really... Do whatever it takes for each individual customer. The most important thing is, there is no way we let a lamestream guy like that on one of our handcrafted artisanal tours. Oh, put away the fake brochures. Check out the front door. Black rimmed glasses. Fedoras. 
And the elbow patches are real leather. Go, go. Citizen Civs, Captains and Commanders, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 107 of the best damn space sim podcast ever and was recorded on Friday, February 12th and made available for download Tuesday, February 16th over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jace. And I'm Jeff. What do we have in store this week, Jeff? In this week's Squawk Box, we update a few of our recent stories. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover the latest Star Citizen monthly report, the news from the bubble in Elite Dangerous, details of another new Descent game coming on the horizon in the form of Overload, and I gather Tony and Jace's thoughts on micromanagement and power diversion. This week, we strap Shiv into the sim pod as it reviews Star Trek Starfleet Academy, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Hey, you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. A little bit of a news roundup for you this week, folks. Uh, some updates to Squawk Box stories of yore, if you will. The common theme this week? Yeah, about that. Very recently, we covered the LISA, or Laser Interferometer Space Antenna, mission to Lagrange Point 1. Its payload was a very sensitive set of instruments designed to detect gravity waves at one of the quietest points in the solar system, gravitationally speaking. The design goal of the mission was to make the first direct observations of gravitational waves in order to design the next generation of instruments for gravitational astronomy. Wouldn't you know it, the LIGO, or Laser Interferometer Gravitational Observatory, went ahead and sorta detected that for ya. Uh, Two pairs of four kilometer long laser levels, basically, in Washington State and Louisiana observed. Huh? Yeah. Yay. Right in your backyard, I think, actually. With a 99.99994 confidence level, the collision of two black holes traveling at half the speed of light, three billion light years away. After 13 years of detecting tons of gravitational distortions, seemingly everything but what exactly they were looking for, scientists finally fixed the glitch and have, to quote Associate Professor Xavier Simmons from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, quote, this marks the inauguration of the era of gravitational wave astronomy, end quote. So maybe Lisa should have gone in for some faster rockets to get out there to station keeping? Yeah, about that. Loyal listeners might recall, a while ago, we covered NASA's proposed ARM, or Asteroid Retrieval Mission. Quick recap, it was a Rube Goldbergian mousetrap of a mission that would involve plucking a small asteroid from the intrastellar void, steering it back to a lunar orbit, and then sending a manned mission to retrieve samples. It was ambitious, bold, complex, and probably not ever going to happen anymore. NASA has quietly pushed the timetable back from a proposed launch date for the diversion mission in 2020 to 2023. Asked if maybe that threw a kink into the plan of landing Earthlings on the rock in 2025, NASA essentially said, yeah, hey, could it could still happen, you know, maybe. 
Uh, in the meantime, the important thing to remember is a quote from NASA's chief financial officer, David Radzanikowski. Pretty sure I got that right. Don't get fixated that there's a delay at this point in time. No, instead, let's fixate that the mission's 2017 budget was slashed to less than $70 million, which is $20 million less than a planned lunar orbit habitat that wouldn't even get started until the late 2020s. Yeah, about that. And what kind of a news roundup would this be without our old friend, the F-35? Joint Program Office Chief Lieutenant General Chris Bogdan announced on February 10th that the total number of planes built under the program would be reduced from 893 to 873 as various countries trim their orders due to difficult economic conditions, reassessed defense priorities, and um, the fact that it doesn't work yet? Fortunately, the general assures us that the unit cost, the final cost per fighter actually built, would be virtually unquantifiable. Wait, what, what does uh, that mean? Wait, <laughs> they came out wrong. Hang on, Jeff. Um, practically invaluable. But, uh, okay, you know, you know, hold on. Let me give you the actual words of General Bogdan. Quote, I can tell you the price difference between 893 and 873 airplanes, I'm not sure I can even measure that. It's way less than 1% in overall price to everybody, end quote. Now, I'm no math expert, as we've demonstrated repeatedly on this segment, but let's Let's say that the overall cost of the program was astonishingly low, like like like, like only a trillion dollars. Okay, one trillion divided by eight hundred ninety-three is one billion, one hundred nineteen million, eight hundred twenty thousand, eight hundred twenty-eight dollars and sixty-seven cents. Now you divide that same trillion by eight hundred seventy-three, and you get one billion, one hundred forty-five million, four hundred seventy-five thousand, three hundred seventy-two dollars and twenty-eight cents. Now, that's actually a 2.29% increase. So, so yeah, a little more than way less than 1%, more like, more like twice that. Uh, and that little 20-plane drop, that does not include the 65 that Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is planning to cancel. So, yeah, about that. So, we go from, like, super exciting, gravitational waves, woohoo, yeah. to, holy crap, the F-35 is a billion dollars a pop and going to be more expensive once Canada walks. Yeah, well, so about It kind of slides the scale there, covering the gamut. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that our air defenses, our manned air defenses, have to take such a beating financially to be actually relevant in today's modern technology. It's just... I, I it's poke, you know, ju it's just... Ugh, it frustrates me to no end. I, I poke fun, right? I mean... A lot of that money that's being spent is, is R&D, right? They've made lots of mistakes, but there are advanced technologies involved and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, I get that. But seriously, a billion dollars for a fighter plane. I know. It's – I'm Ugh. just uh, – I know. <laughs> and in the meantime well, – you know, in the in context the meantime, of these stories, it's, it's an immediate feeling of scale as you look back yeah. up to stuff about the NASA mission budget. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like – I mean, like, one plane off the ground, a billion dollars – Trying to get a lunar orbital habitat. Ninety million. Really? Why don't you just cancel a plane and give the money to NASA? No, oh, but see, then the incremental <laughs> price of the. I got to redo the math now. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, I, this. But I mean, yeah, it just it's a sense of the scale, right? And actually, you know, that's that's very interesting, Jace. You know, somebody make it radio for a second here. Well, I uh, no, because I remember, I remember looking at the numbers for for the Lisa mission, the little the little uh, spaceship, the Lagrange Point spaceship, mm -hmm. and. It's pennies on the dollar. It's uh, 400 million euros. So, like, 
half the cost of an F-35. Well, that's why it's so much more to outfit a ship for warfare than for trade or exploration in Elite. See? That, that's right. Yes, it, it's a lot more, exactly. Yes, it's very expensive well, to do. Well, I, I hope that we get some leadership, maybe not in my lifetime, but maybe in my son's lifetime, that understands the necessity of exploration of space, quit warmongering on, on our own planet, and start exploring our other environments. You know, I'm going to be the voice of reason here. I mean, I don't mind a little more warmongering. And let's, and let's be honest here. The study of warmongering actually gives us a lot of technological advances, which helps us explore space. Right. I'm just, I'm asking for some reasonable warmongering here. Let's let's be reasonable. Hey, how about we just do half a trillion dollars? I mean, can we do that? Can we, what about half a trillion? What if we gave you half a trillion dollars for a fighter plane? Do you think you could could live with that? I know, I know you're not going to get like all the missiles you want, but like, could you do half? We, I don't know. Yeah, or I, if I instead know. of the next 10 countries' military expenses, maybe we could just exceed the next eight? Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's 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 lower our standards a little bit. I mean, we're so far ahead. We could do that, and, and really, I don't think we'd lose any face, really. I'm very patriotic and, and all that, and, I, and I've served my country. And, and I, In the and Air I Force, do know no that, less. And I do know that there are some organizations or individuals that need to be eradicated you know, from time to time. Yeah, from time to time. But sure, I also believe that you know, I, I was watching a news story in passing, and I just this one gal was talking about uh, we should go to the moon and build a, a have a, as a as a precursor to our Mars mission. And it's like, well, yeah, we should have done that twenty years ago or thirty years ago. We should have built a habitat on the moon. I mean, think of the science, what we could have learned in all that time. From living on uh, such an environment that would have furthered our progress to Mars. You know what? I've got the answer. We just repurpose a moon base as a railgun emplacement that oh, acts as national go. defense. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's like the risk 2210 strategy. I'm going to the moon. Uh, I, once again, my job here as the lawyer is to rain no fun on everybody's <laughs> parade. You're There's actually a law. Sorry. No, I know. There's international agreements yeah. to not militarize yeah. space. I just, I hate to be. Yet. I mean, well, no, I don't hate to be. It's my job. It's what I do. I'm the no fun guy. Killjoy. That truly, truly. That, that's, I, I'm going to get new business cards with that printed on it. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for February 12, 2016, 108,130,000, up about 700,000, 1.273 million registered accounts, up about 15,000, and 921,000 ships in the UEE fleet, up about 7,000. Star Citizen's January monthly report is out with 11,000 words compiled from every studio around the world. If you've kept up with CIG's news stream, or with our own summaries. There shouldn't be too much new in there, but there were a few future goals mentioned that hadn't shown up before. The most interesting one is right at the top of the report. CIG is planning to produce one significant, that is number after the decimal point, patch for Star Citizen Alpha every month. That patch will be preceded by a number of incremental updates to the PTU. If they're able to meet that goal, that means Star Citizen Alpha 2.2 will be out at the end of the month. As for the rest of the report, the LA section has news on the ship pipeline, 
Austin's block has a tidbit about the Lorville landing zone and the QA that went in the recent patches. UK's report mentions little bits about the vast number of things they're working on for Squadron 42, except for engineering, which goes into very minute detail about items. Frankfurt gives similar updates on everything for Squadron 42 that the UK isn't doing. Behavior gives a quick bit about shopping. Turbulent mentions the new subscriber page and their work on multi-factor authentication, and the community team wraps it up with their notes on video production and the new subscriber page, again. Listeners who want more details should check out the entire report for themselves. CIG's Around the Verse this week features Aaron Roberts on the Frankfurt Update, an interview with a member of the Cinematics team, and the return of the popular Witch Glitch segment. On Reverse the Verse, they mentioned that Patch 2.2 is nearing a ready state and could include a new flyable ship and a reputation system for Crusader, but nothing is confirmed. Also, Ben and Lando would like everyone to please stop starting fights defending Star Citizen. Apparently, it's become more of an issue lately. What do you mean, starting fights? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, please stop starting fights defending. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I frequently kid Lennon about his run-on sentences and his lack of commas or punctuation or, you know, correct spelling. But I think that there's some sort of intentional, you know, massaging of words there. Please stop starting fights defending Star Citizen. It's okay, guys. We're, we're working. We're pushing regular patches. We're doing stuff, adding art, adding assets, adding features. Calm down. Because pretty soon they'll say, well, why can't we start fights defending you? <laughs> we paid a lot of money to start fights stopping, defending, stopping. Well, I, I guess the the Christian metaphor here is turn the other cheek. Yes. Uh, you know, Star Citizen is going to stand on its own merits. I, I mean, that's the whole point of Lennon was asking for nightly builds, you know, for a while. I was like, mm, maybe not nightly, but, you know, make it. We have to check the stupid thing in before our weekend can start. Make it a thing. Make it a Friday. You know, every Friday we have to have milestones met or we need to explain why they're not met and we got to check in what we do have done and then we come hell or high water we push it and that that's what gets out there to the messy public test universe if you make it a regular thing and set people's expectations that well it'll be there but it might suck that's good that's how it should go and if they make a commitment to do that and that's actually what what is delivered it's all that needs to be said yeah i was actually a little surprised to hear that part because in all the circles i run in having to do with star citizen most of the negativity has dissolved. It's now discussions of, you know, what's good or bad about this particular patch and conversations about particular features or particular preferences about how they'd like it to go instead of, you know, the old tired arguments that we used to hear. Oh, you don't go to the places I go. <laughs> well, I, I have to agree with Jace, though, because in the same circles I travel in, too, there's been less angst and more um, discussion about features and what do you think they'll do next and even in the, some of the reddit stuff i you know maybe that's because i avoid the cesspool because really it's not productive and it's not i mean the only people that really go there is just people that want to be sussy <laughs> or those of us who are keeping their eyes open what do you mean i i, I don't see how keeping your eyes open or looking at those it's out there Oh, I'm sure it is, but I, I suspect that it's a small number. And, and The point is it's out there. Like I said, one of the reasons we changed our format is because we, we want to talk about good things. We don't talk about progress. Well, I think we want to be accurate in our reporting, and we don't want to necessarily dwell on the negative, I think, is why we changed our format. But it's there. Right, and, but you and, have to admit uh, that it was ubiquitous for a while, and it definitely yes. has decreased right. dramatically. Right, and again, 
I would postulate that the regular updates, that's what made everybody shut up, you know? And, oh, and I totally being, agree. Yeah. But the fact is, and, and this is the, you know, again, the no fun parade, you know, the no fun guys here. The fact is, is that none of what transpired from a certain person who shall not be named uh, has changed. All of the sort of, you know, structure building that he did is still there. None of the demands were met. None of the goals were proffered. None of the things happened. Which was, Now, said person has also not done anything at all. He's just sat there and let nature take its course. But at any time, that could happen. That's what I'm saying. Well, he's still irrelevant. I mean, we obviously have seen progression in, in what's going to be a game. Oh, and and a, the from, more they yeah. do that, the less relevant it becomes. And again, this is what bothers me about the last little bits that Jace read. Number one, they're watching and seeing the same things I'm saying about it, which is smart. That's good. Number two, they said something about it on their fan channels. That bothers me. <laughs> if it wasn't bothering them, they wouldn't say anything. If it wasn't hitting their radars, it wouldn't have been mentioned. Stop. <laughs> I see the same cesspool that everybody else does. It's smaller. It's a lot less stinky than it was. It's retreated from the spillage that it was. That's awesome. And largely due, I think, to the efforts of the people making the game, which is, hey, thumbs up. Well done. Well played. Don't fall back into the old habits. If there's a cesspool out there, just hold your nose and walk by. If people want to go splashing it, that's their own business. This week's Elite Dangerous Dev Update gives additional insight into the mission updates coming with 2.1, with an emphasis on their design goal of progression. First off, a new level of reputation is being added to the positive side of rep scale, making for a smoother but also longer journey with rewards at each level. Also, the bulletin board will be overhauled into a new mission board. More details on the new board are promised for next week but one of its features will be to more clearly identify what players need in order to access currently unavailable missions. Finally, communications relating to missions will be improved with the results of success or failure. It will also show you how it impacts the organization that hired you. As part of this comms aspect, important messages, especially in multi-stage missions, will better persist in your inbox. The dev update revealed something else surprising to many. The new weapons coming will include not only huge beam and pulse lasers, but also large and huge size multi-cannons. Yay! Images of these new projectile weapons were included in this week's newsletter and will be included in the show notes along with a link to additional Q&A around the dev update. Oh my. Oh my, indeed. I, my, oh my. My clipper will thank you. You know, I think we might have to slap some sort of parental advisory on the cover of this uh, episode, you know, with huge beams and pulse lasers and huge multi-cannons. I mean, you know, <laughs> might be too much for some members of our audience. They, they need to be warned. Well, the art looked really, really good. I, I, I have to say that it was extremely pleasing to see that uh, the large multi-cannons were coming. Uh, I heard that they were not going to be turreted or gimbaled. That would make sense. As far as what they've done with their previous you know, class four huge items, they've they've I think they they're all fixed. Yeah, I think you can get the gimbaled cannon, but even the gimbling doesn't do a lot for it. The yeah. comment that was made was that currently they're planning on fixed and they're looking into other options. So I don't think we would get turreted huge weapons. That would be no. astonishing, but uh, we might get one or two of them gimbaled. Well, if you look at all the capital ships, especially in movies and stuff, you see that they are, you know, because they're all on, you know, uh, broadside and all that. They all track. I would almost argue in favor of turreted weapons in the effect of 
capital ships because that's how I perceive them. Yeah, but I mean, do some theory crafting though. I mean, if you have a the, there's the gun, right, and all of its associated hardware that has to go along with it, power and ammo feeds and coolant and blah blah blah. Then add on top of that machinery designed to withstand the stresses of moving the damn thing around to a precise enough degree to hit a moving object in space, you know, multiple kilometers away, moving quickly. I, I, you know, just theory crafting wise, I don't think the ships that we're flying in Elite Dangerous, that doesn't make sense to have both the weapon and the uh, mount, the turret mount fit in, a, in the ships that we're flying. Capital ship, yes. I think that may be a line. I want, <laughs> I want a little miniature Star Destroyer. Can I have one, please? Yeah. Take the Corvette or the Cutter out with huge turrets. Have a field day. Confession note, I actually do want a mini Star Destroyer, and I would love it if I could have a turreted beam laser, you know, stuck to the bottom of my cutter. I just don't think, number one, it's great for gameplay, because I think if you're going to have a huge weapon out there, I think it ought to come with some costs, you know, some downsides to it. And I think one of those downsides should be you've actually got to aim your gigantic ship at the thing you're trying to shoot. On the clipper, I've got uh, gimbaled beams, large beams on my on my wings. Mm-hmm. And I have medium cannons on my on my nose, which are turreted. And the one thing I found is that I'm not always tracking uh, when I when I switch over to my my cannons. I'm not always sure that they're firing. You know, it's like yeah, they're below your line of sight. Yeah, you kind of have to watch your ammo feed on your HUD rather than actually looking for the visual cue, you know, at your window. Yeah, I think I might go back to gimbaled cannons on those. We mentioned a few weeks back that Kickstarter had been a great platform for bringing us those games that we might not have had otherwise. Thanks to Kickstarter, it looks like Descent is getting not just one, but two Kickstarter revivals. Firstly, through Descent Underground, but now thanks to a new game named Overload. Although it doesn't bear the Descent name like Underground does, the game comes to us from the very same people who made the original Descent. The team aptly named Revival Productions, are picking up where Parallax, the game studio behind the original Descent, left off. And they promise to create an all-new single-player game that combines the best of six degrees of freedom gaming with modern graphics and technology. To quote the Kickstarter, quote, destroy robots, rescue hostages, blow up the reactor, and escape before the whole thing explodes. The game promises intense single-player action in Six Degrees of Freedom over a 15-level campaign filled with explosive combat and exploration, with a story being written by the very same writers as Free Space 2. As for the Pew Pew, you'll be getting more than a dozen robot types, three massive bosses, 12 upgradable weapons, five difficulty levels, and a partridge in a pear tree. Not too ambitious, but the smaller task list is sure to produce a highly polished game, and the pre-alpha footage shown in the pitch video already looks really slick, as well as bearing more than a few homages to the Descent franchise, and it'll look pretty familiar to anybody who's played Descent Underground. Hmm... As of this recording, $56,390 has been pledged of a $300,000 goal. It has 27 days left to go, so it's off to a great start. Yeah, especially since some of those dollars are mine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're hoping you're hoping they drag it over the, over the finish line. Now, this is this is fascinating to me. I mean, we all dig Wingman, right? And those guys over there, you know, uh, Rob Irving and, and, and Jason and all the, you know, I interviewed a bunch of them when they were still with CIG. A great bunch of guys rooting for them all the way. They've got a great game. Like I said, my son was addicted to it. I jumped in there a little bit last week. They've got another patch out again on a Friday, like they always do. This one including some of the user maps. They've got some of the user maps out there now. So is this a sign that crowdfunding's time has come when we can revive 
two versions of the same game and have them compete and, 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 and see which one's the best? Or are we just getting a little too crowded now? Has crowdfunding become too crowded? No, I, I think crowdfunding is, is the next evolution in, in the games that we love to play. I, I mean, think about it. If I, if I had the you know, idea or whatnot, I would love to bring uh, uh, Free Space back. You know, or one of my most favorite games of all time was Battlezone. I would love to see Battlezone crowdfunded. So, no, I, I think uh, crowdfunding is, is a great place to, you know, revive these games. I'm kind of cautious about, though, if IPs are going to become really, really expensive for people that want to revive some of these things. In the case of Descent, uh, you know, he had to buy that IP from somebody. I don't know all the facts behind the acquisition of the IP from, I believe it was Interplay. I think Interplay had the last publishing rights. It was Parallax was the development studio, but I think Interplay had the publishing rights. I don't know all the facts. I know some facts, and that's about all I think I'm privileged to say about that. But the IP angle is difficult. The balance that has to be you know, sort of gone through in the, in, the, in the mind of the publisher is that on the one hand, I don't want to invest the money in it. And I own this thing, but it's not making me any money right now. And as a matter of fact, there are people out there modding this 20-year-old game, maybe, doing stuff, hosting private servers, whatever. It would actually cost me money to defend this IP, which has no revenue stream attached to it. On the other hand, we got somebody that's willing to make a game, and if successful, will create a revenue stream, of which then I could take a little piece of. So as an IP owner, it would make sense to me to just hand that IP to somebody willing to shepherd it and say, you make some money off of it, cut me in for the piece of the back end. But I'm not interested in taking a risk on making it go. Oh, by the way, there's a whole bunch of people out there who are like doing stuff. So you might want to look into that. Have fun. I think that's the, the tension. The tension is you might alienate your favorite fan base who've been keeping the torch alive. But on the other hand, you might realize a revenue stream after so many years. It's a tough thing. Yeah, it may be tough, but, but think about it. I mean, what we've seen so far, the, the couple of games I've done on Kickstarter, you know, my first experience was uh, Star Citizen. I mean, of course, who wouldn't pony up for that? And then there was Descent. I've got a playable version on my on my game. I'm happy with, with the money I spent on the crowdfunding. And, and now this other Descent game made by the original creators of Descent. So I think with a little research or a little knowledge into what you are actually backing, I don't think you're going to be too disappointed. I think that uh, it's necessary for to see some of our games being revived that Kickstarter or crowdfunding is a, necess a necessity these days. I don't know. That model may change, and the, in the, it may go back to big publishers, you know, five years from now. Who knows? I'm not very familiar with Descent, but on the subject of crowdfunding in general, I do think some of these genre niches that were being underexplored by mainstream publishers are now really being seen as uh, successful markets for small indie groups, early access, and kickstarting and crowdfunding. So there may be something to that getting more crowded. Also, while statistically still there are many, many successful gaming Kickstarters, they're mostly more modest. There haven't been the huge breakout successes. And some studios like In Exile Entertainment, who made Wasteland 2 and is making the new Bard's Tale 4 and uh, the new Torment game, 
they have gotten a little more uh, modest in their goals. Mm-hmm. You know, they may still reach many stretch goals, but I think that it may have leveled off for a while in the crowdfunding. Yeah, it seems to be a squeeze. It seems that the field has been has been, as you say, fully explored at this point, and maybe people are having to uh, defend their claims a little bit. And this is where I think I have to be the no fun guy again, where we have the problem of the crowdfunding field being crowded crossing over with these IP concerns is that if you look at that Kickstarter pitch and in the background hangs a dissent poster and they talk repeatedly about how we are doing this just the way we did the other game that we made that doesn't belong to us anymore. Mm -hmm. And we're all the same people that made the game that doesn't belong to us anymore. That in my terrible, horrible, rain-on-everybody's-parade little lawyer mind is a big, red, flashing warning light. Yeah. I mean, they were amiable about it. I noticed that in their FAQ they addressed Descent Underground and definitely didn't say anything negative, but it was it was damned by faint praise. It was like, oh, we're sure they're great guys. Yeah. It's, it's not even that. It's that we're acknowledging that there is a competing product out there, one licensed by the people that own the IP. But we're going to go ahead and make something that looks and feels and sounds and plays just like the thing that we made that we don't own anymore. Well, I'm going to make one more comment on an area that we haven't touched on yet, and then I'll shut up. And that's the modding community. Now, there's a lot of games that I play, like like Free Space 2 and Babylon 5 I Founder and, and a lot of other little games that for a very, very long time have been managed by the modding community, which is awesome. I love the modding community. I've been, you know, participating for a long, uh, for many years. However, because they're not funded or not, you know, it's all volunteer, we don't get game updates or graphic updates. Well, we get graphic updates, but not, you know... Not the, not the assets. Right. So I don't want to naysay the modding community because I think it's very, very vital for the games that we do play. You know, crowdfunding could impact the modding community or may not have any impact whatsoever, but that is something to think about. No, I, you know, as, the, as these IPs become managed once again, and remember that Star Citizen only exists because the Wing Commander IP was not for sale. So, so that that's the that the sort of forced creativity, I guess, maybe you know, and it turned into a, a big thing all by itself. That isn't available for people that want to see a new version of their favorite old game. You know, it's got to be the old game. It's got to be the authentic game. Crowdfunding is getting kind of crowded, and uh, it's. I think this overload thing might be interesting to watch. I'm going to keep my eye on it. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Star Citizen's monthly subscriber player, a Mustang Delta model, is now out. Eve Valkyrie has its player's stats reset and the latest alpha build released. Descendant Studios are putting the final touches to Tech Trees and Descent Underground's weekly update. Elite's mystery of the alien barnacles continues with the disappearance of the leading researcher, Professor Ishmael Paling. And another new patch for Ivacron Legacy, featuring a pretty significant update to joysticks and gamepads.
Yeah, I saw a thing about Eve Valkyrie. There, there may be uh, some rumblings about uh, sort of this thing we've talked about before about it. The Oculus Rift is going to be awesome, but it sort of hampers a little bit what you can do with the game itself. The monitor both enhances and restricts what you can do. Right. And, and that stuff I brought up before, I mean, I'm looking forward to E-Valkyrie, but I'm not going to get an Oculus Rift just to play it. And I think their numbers are going to be low because of it. Which means you won't be playing. Games I won't be playing. That's That should be a segment. Yeah. <laughs> it would probably be a shorter list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a short segment. Our debate sections have been so successful, we decided to keep them on full-time. Especially as Lennon hasn't asked us where the f*** is the first-person shooter module for a long while, so... Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us to power levels and micromanagement. I will give you each 30 seconds to present your case and a further 30 seconds to reply. As a result of a coin flip, Tony is up first and Jace is second. So, Tony, tell me. Exactly how many buttons and dials should I have for managing my power levels? Jeff, you should have as many buttons and dials as you can possibly handle. If you're going to model the workings of a spaceship, I want to be able to pull out a fuse panel and pull a fuse and have whole sections of my ship just go dark. I want a button and a switch and a lever and a rheostat for everything that I can get a hold of because at the end of the day, it's my ship and I want it to do what I tell it to. And Jace, your rebuttal? Tony, you ignorant slut. My problem with this is that while I'm a space sim fan, I am not really a sim fan. So while I'm fine with being able to modify all that stuff, I want the ship to be able to be flown and to dogfight and be totally enjoyable without a lot of tweaking and nitty gritty and customization and spending a half an hour on my loadout before I can even start to play. Tony, refute? Jace, I understand that, but as Space Sims are typically a skill-based game, those of us with less skill want an equalizer factor. If I can, using some prior planning and some careful math, squeeze a bit more performance out of the programmed capabilities of my ship, I might be able to close the skill gap with somebody that might be just a better pilot than me using my power setting. Jace, your response. Tony, you ignorant slut. You make a good point, but that assumes that your opponent doesn't do all those same things. In my experience, all the guides to tweaking and the maximum performance and loadouts trickle down from the hands of hardcore PvPers who develop those things first and then pass them on to others. So I don't think you'll really get an advantage. If anything, it will widen their advantage over you. Well, there you have it. <laughs> well done, sir. The fine joust. Pip, pip, cheerio. You're my favorite windmill. <laughs> oh, well. You know, it's been a long time since I've been tilted at. <laughs> I, I like the elite's atta- uh, approach to it. I don't know if, uh, Jace, you've, you've flown an elite a lot. Yeah. You know, t- t- tell us, uh, you know, for, for, for those who may not be as familiar with the elite dangerous world, t- uh, give us a brief over, give them a brief overview of how elite handles it. Sure. We actually, I think, took a little tangent on this issue and talked really more about loadouts and, and pre-prep rather than on-the-fly micromanaging. Well, since I went first, the tangent is well, on Well, I, I stuck with you on it, and I thought it was a good discussion. Loadouts in Elite, I think, especially since we have the nice web tools that let us play around with it and manage our power load, 
is actually kind of straightforward and I think you can tweak it to your personal style. I'm pretty happy with that overall. But you'll notice that also there's not an absolute myriad of options in every slot. Though we're getting more customization in 2.1, so we'll see where that goes. It's not super fine-tunable to the point of minutiae. The thing I sort of take a little bit of an issue with in Elite is how you balance power levels between systems, weapons, and engines. If you leave it balanced, it's kind of crappy at all three. So Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I usually go all weapons until I need to go defensive or until I need to go fast, and so I have to constantly play with that on the fly, which is a little unsatisfactory to me in a single-player mode because there's a lot to manage at once. And that's where I think the skill comes in, being able to manage those things on the fly for better performance. However, I would like it better, I think, if having your power balanced was pretty good and putting full power to certain subsystems just gave you a little extra oomph. In Elite, it's a huge disparity when you go full power into a subsystem. The problem I have is, in in the real world, who would build a ship that has such a power system to it? I mean, come (laughs) on. Let's take the Clipper, for example. If you spend, you know, 14 million credits on a on a power plant my god this thing better be freaking nuclear and fusion reaction and all all that and give me enough power to put whatever i want on it but yet they seem to want to gimp a lot of you know i i understand the balance of, of play here but you know some of this is by far ridiculous i can't even turn on my warrant scanner because it takes me over that oh. that threshold i mean warrant scanners like, use so much power this has been the best debate yet because I think this is the first time when actually like I got the side I really, 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 really feel good about. And the, my opponent, Mr. Jace, is on the other side. I love all this stuff you guys are complaining about. <laughs> I love it. Love it. I have so much fun tweaking around. Like I turn stuff off. I prioritize power settings. When I deploy my hard points, like half my ship shuts down. I mean, that's basically how you'd have to do it to get an optimal loadout. Yeah, I love it. And when I'm in some ships, I am tweaking my uh, the, the power pips. I am bouncing back around and forth, like, all the time. Hey, Jeff, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter? Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah, okay. Uh-huh. F9, F12, yep. F11, F9, F12, F11, <laughs> F12, F9, yep. F10, F9, 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 That was more for shield balancing and, you know, you know. No, it was not, sir. No, sir, it was not. When you were attacking a Star Destroyer, you had to overpower your lasers. And when you were running like hell from the TIE Fighters, you had to overpower your engines and shields and screw the weapons. No, sir. It was all about power management, sir. This has been fun. I love this one. It is a good one. So you're saying that you're completely fine with the way the power the power is dealt with. In, I mean, oh, like I said, I, I, I agree love that there it. should be some to balance loadouts and, and game balance and all that. I get that. but But some of this seems to be really ridiculous it's it's like you're kidding i put an a7 or an a6 in in a clipper and i can't turn on my freaking cargo scoop holy cow (laughs) doing it this way you know and i'll go back i'll go back to our touchstone our common touchstone here star trek online you know one of the things that the lead designer alvaro always talked about was that you have to be careful of the power creep right the next biggest and dangerous ship, you know, all of a sudden it like overpowers everything else. Uh, yeah, I get it. I mean, I, I'm all for the gameplay and stuff. I get it. But some of it seems to be a little over the top. Passion. So much passion. And this week's community question. Micromanaging your ship's power requirements. How far is too far? The simpler the better? Or do you really want to give her all she's got? Let us know your thoughts. 
Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com. And now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's strap Shiv into the sim pod as he reviews Star Trek Starfleet Academy. Record of bridge. If you need me, I'll be at holodeck four. Greetings, Captains. On today's Priority One podcast... Uh, Stu, wrong show. What do you mean? We're talking about Star Trek Online, right? Uh, no, we're actually talking about Starfleet Academy from Interplay, released in 1997. Oh, yeah. Okay. One of the things I really liked about this game was the incorporation of full motion video. I mean, to see Star Trek on your computer screen is kind of amazing. And I know that other games have done it better, but none of them had Captain Kirk. This was three years after Generations, so by all rights, William Shatner had put Kirk to bed. I remember Kirk being in this as a big selling point for the game. How about you, Shiv? The game certainly looked a lot better in memory. Starfleet Academy just kind of looks bad now. It's interesting how something like Free Space, which was on the top of its game for the time, still looks good, whereas this game just has some ugly graphics, like the Starfield features look like a really bad copy pasta. It's good to see Kirk. I like the varied missions and the control you have to try and think up ways to do it better. Yeah, gameplay is kind of rough. I had a dickens of a time getting my Xbox 360 controller to work, and by dickens, I mean it didn't actually work. So I was numpadding it, and that worked okay. I remembered something else from 1997 and playing Space Sims, that 3D radar thing, that takes some time getting used to. I can read it, but the problem is sometimes, no matter what, I can't get the target under the view screen. I have to use the near radar to have any chance at all. I've been using the keypad too, but at least you don't have to be right on target to hit. You just hit the fire key and the crew aims for you. Still, it feels pretty clunky and there's not much finesse. Maybe if I could get the joystick to work, or the Steam controller, but I haven't tried that yet, which is a surprise, since it's normally the first thing I try. The real question is, though, is it fun? There is a lot of groundwork that eventually becomes Star Trek Online. The missions building section of the game is essentially the foundry. As a game, it's more thought-provoking than Pew Pew, for sure, but then, you know, so is the IP it's based off of. Yes, this game is based on making interesting choices. How do I get that ship to surrender, or try to achieve everything at the risk of failing something very important? The part I look forward to if I keep playing is the crew interactions. Between the missions, as you interact with the crew, you have to be the captain and lead them to making their own right choices. I'm just worried that the low production quality will hinder the gameplay. Like when the instructor gives you instructions, the game pauses, you can't do anything, but if you don't listen you might not know what to do. Sometimes they don't tell you what to do at all how to beam somebody aboard, for example. I end up having to pause and look at the keyboard shortcuts quite a bit during the middle of everything. There's potential, but it might take some effort to get there. But for the Star Trek fan, should they pick it up? If you are a diehard TOS fan, then I'd say pick it up. But personally, I'd rather play a different Star Trek game. I hear that one's pretty good. Yeah, you should check it out. For now, let's tune into the feedback loop and hear what you have to say. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he stores his shoes in a sneaker net, and that he beat Matthew Broderick in a game of tic-tac-toe. But all he knows is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Firewalls, hacking the net, and backtracing it. Interesting gameplay mechanic, or just something that gets in the way of the pew-pew? W. Smith 50 cracks the code with, it's all gonna come down to how they do it. 
Permanent Starlight hooks in with SCP to say it's a first-person universe, not strictly a space sim. Obviously, it should be included because it'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Longscope cleans the log files with, I've always liked the hacking from Sega's version of Shadowrun. It's hacking, but in a pew-pew kind of flavor. It was great fun. Daniel Stapleford fortifies a node to say, I enjoyed Deus Ex Human Revolution version of it. Fallout's is fun too. There's definitely room for improvement, but I cringe when I think about what CIG could come up with. But at the end of the day, they consistently exceed my expectations, so yeah. Brett Chesin overflows the stack with, I hope it's not a dominant weapon. I hope it's meant for just larger ships. Martin Bergeron overflows the buffer with, Well, if it's anything like press X to hack, it's pointless. I guess it could be valid if you do it like they do in Star Trek Online, where you can hack repair if you're an engineer. If you were spec differently, you would have to find another way. Think Dose X. Like Daniel wrote earlier, deploying viruses and such as a method of attack could be interesting. Going for power systems or why not sensors, making yourself invisible to them. That would be really stealthy. Sean Newboy finds a way in the back door to find... Wonderful show, everyone. Good job. As for hacking, it should be in the game, but with a high difficulty. Amontillado Remote executes code to tell us... Yes, it's an interesting game mechanic. While we don't know a great deal about how it will be implemented in Star Citizen, I'm confident that CIG is aware of its potential to wreck other parts of the game and will engineer things to avoid that. Something like requiring a missile hit to make the hacking connection is a good start. Galen Rick Lothrin escalates privilege to say, Great show, guys. Electronic warfare as a mechanic is fine as long as it's implemented properly. It should be possible to hack and disrupt just about any system if given enough time. And time is the real important factor, in my opinion. This is why electronic warfare should normally only be seen in larger fleet battles as a perpetrator of an electronic attack and can either work from one ship hiding among a sea of ships or sitting a dedicated station on a well-defended capital ship. Both these options provide a secure, safe, relatively, location where a electronics warfare officer can have the time needed to perform his or her task. Saldian stands as a man in the middle to change the page to say, Great show, guys. Hacking and EW should definitely be part of the game as long as it's balanced and incentivized for those who use and counter it. Cyril gets you to click the link saying, Great show as always. I'm very interested to see how EW gets implemented. I agree with a lot of your comments such as radar jamming, etc. With having three ways to detect targets, infrared, electromagnetic, cross-section, this could be a fun mechanic to balance by only allowing any single system to jam a single aspect. I do have to say that you're likely grievously wrong about how safe the EW ships would be in a large battle. The reason all the EW ships worth using in EVE had super long range jamming was that as soon as you were in range of enemy weapons, you die. In many instances, a single EW platform can reduce the combat effectiveness of many ships all at once. If you can only bring half of your damage output to practical use due to a single ship, it's a much more important target than any other single ship in the enemy fleet. Good discussion. You know, a lot of people weighed in on it. Uh, it's it, It'll be tricky. You know, we talk about all the different space sims out there. One space sim that completely lacks the EW component really is uh, Elite Dangerous. Um, I would like it if they didn't add that in. I think that'd be cool. But I think it's something that will be interesting to watch evolve. I think that's one of the things that definitely needs to be beat up on by alpha and beta testers uh, significantly. 100% agree. So do I. Well, that's that. Oh, we had such a great discussion on the power <laughs> stuff. We're all going to agree with each other. Oh. Well, we got to make it snap, pop, pop, pop. Yeah, but, uh, you, you know, the 
there are a lot of people that see it as, uh, you know, I'm not going to compare this with Eve. I, I knew what he was talking about in Eve when about, you know, these ships are built such a way that you can really be behind your fleet and be effective at very long range. But I don't see that mechanic. There's a, That's a different mechanic than what, what this game is going for. Yeah. Like those big fleet battles, your position changes to take place over the course of minutes, yeah. not seconds. No new Patreon subscribers this week, but the winners of a brand new patch are... Brian Murray. Hi, this is Spectrum personality Carrie Kerrigan with a super special prize announcement for everyone who's made it all the way to the end of the show. Paul Watson from HCS Voice Packs has generously given us some codes to unlock a little crew for the theater of your mind. And Gary Magenheimer from Voice Attack is kicking in a free copy of his software to bring those characters to life. All you have to do to be eligible to win this fabulous prize is favorite and retweet our tweets. We'll draw two names each week for three weeks. Winners will receive the voices of Astra, Dark, Leo, voiced by Norman Lovett, who you may know as Holly from Red Dwarf, and the ship's cat, as well as a free copy of Voice Attack to power them all up. Follow at GuardFreak on Twitter and watch for a tweet from us mentioning at Voice Packs and at Voice Attack. This week's winners are Kin Shadows and Brock Scoville. We're going to give away Ayawala Hololo, aka Chi Ho Tse, another week because we butchered his name so bad he might not have known he won. Hey! Send us an email containing your first and last name before episode 108 is released and we'll get you your prizes. And a reminder of this week's community question, micromanaging your ship's power requirements. How far is too far? The simpler the better, or do you really want to give it all she's got? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Did we stay secure, or did we open the sketchy PDF in the email? Ugh. Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at guardfrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email, squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us are found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 107 of Card Frequency. We'll be back with episode 108 on February 23rd, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space in podcast ever? Drop us an email at squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, guardfrequency.com, clicking on the Patreon logo and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you will consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. 
Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster. And special thanks to Kenna from Priority One Podcast for filling in last week for a sick shiv. Our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trollton Edwards. Our staff writer, Jeff Grant. Our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. No one's listening out there. The deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Contact 330, Carol 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. CIG is planning to produce one significant. That is number after the decimal change. Decimal change. Is that that may be a British way. Yeah, to that say must it. be a British decimal point. Yeah, decimal point. Come on. They use a comma sometimes over there. I understand. <laughs> Those crazy Brits. Have you heard about their money? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh my. Uh, there's like an old lady on it sometimes. <laughs> uh. But one of its features will be more clarity. Oh wait. But one of its features will be more clearly I but one of its features will be to that hired you to more clearly spelled out. Okay. Jace, you're not as bad as Lennon with the run on sentences, but I, I, there's a certain complexity of sentence structure which indicates a highly organized mind that totally doesn't work on radio. So um and that that's just a thing. I yell at Lennon for it all the time. I I love it. I love it. This is teamwork in its highest. The dev update form. revealed something Jace else drafts, surprising to me. The Jeff new weapons reads. coming will include not only. A, oh, now you, now you have to start over because I was talking over you. I Maybe. I couldn't hear you because you were skyping. So, it, uh... <laughs> <laughs> folks, this is what a professional audio recording sounds like. It's we're an experienced team, highly highly trained. The dev- a lot of a lot of years. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you're terrible. I know. That's why no one pays me to do yeah. that. You're next. Oh, it's me. Sorry. Tony, go. Tony, go. Tony. Tony. Start. Ooh, you got me. <laughs> Daniel Stapleford. Daniel Stapleford. <laughs> Daniel Stapleford. All right, I got it. Daniel Stapleford fortified. In... Oh, man. He had it. He did have it. Ford... Stapleford fortifies a node. Like, seriously, is Shiv just Shiv, writing tongue Shiv twisters? Is evil. Shiv is evil. He is evil. And a reminder of this week's community question. Micromanaging your ship's power refi- re- re- refirements. Did the British write this again? <laughs>